Good morning. You're about to listen to a podcast on Brother Lawrence. Do you know who he is? I had heard of him for a little while, but I didn't know. And there is a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is mainly his words, although um, an admirer put uh, very soon after Lawrence died, uh, put together his words and some reminiscences. And so I'll be sharing uh, from both of them, from Joseph de Beaufort, who, who shares about his interactions with Lawrence and also Lawrence's words um, as well, uh, which were written down. I used to think of the centuries between apostolic times and modern times as a total wasteland. No true believers. Now, when I started to study church history, I realized that it's not quite as simple as that. In fact, probably the majority of the church were on track um, I would give them the benefit of the doubt, at least up until the 4th century. But even after that, while the majority were careless and compromised, and we can see it getting worse and worse every century, there were still some uh, brave men and women who were not so careless. They took spiritual matters very seriously. Now, Brother Lawrence, who lived in the 17th century, is one of those persons, but there are many. There are many others. So I've, I've kind of had to, I've had to change my view that most of church history was not this wasteland, just corrupt leaders and church attenders who were pagans paying no attention. Although I think that does describe uh, an awful lot of it. It's, it's a too harsh a judgment because even in the darkness, there were a number of saints, that is holy persons, whose lives uh, really shone and, and lighted the way for others. We're going to look at Brother Lawrence's life, his example, uh, the counsel he gave, and his death. So let's begin. He was born Nicolas Hermann in France, early 17th century, into a very poor family. As many young men did, they joined the army. You could say that poverty drove him there. Because in the army, at least he could be fed. They'd give him food. They'd give him a small stipend to live on. And this was a time when most of Europe was at war. It wasn't that long after the Reformation started, 1517, that there were armies of Protestants fighting armies of Catholics, even Protestants fighting Protestants, uh, and uh, nearly 100 years of warfare. Lawrence was in the Thirty Years' War, which ended in 1648. But he did not have a great uh, run of things. He was taken prisoner by the Germans, and they were going to hang him as a spy. His reply to them was, well, you can hang me if you want to. I've never done anything that would give me a bad conscience, so I'm not afraid of death. And when they realized the sincerity of the fellow, they released him. So he goes back, uh, presumably to the French side. Uh, He's wounded. And this is a a serious wound. He has to withdraw completely. He goes back to his parents' home. And at this time, he is thinking very hard about the gospel and is developing a certain humility. He had had an insight, an insight from a tree. Let me share this with you. Um, In the deep of winter, Herman looked at a barren tree, stripped of leaves and fruit, waiting silently and patiently for the sure hope of summer abundance. Gazing at the tree, Herman grasped for the first time 
the extravagance of God's grace and the unfailing sovereignty of divine providence. Like the tree, he himself was seemingly dead. But God had life waiting for him, and the turn of seasons would bring fullness. At that moment, he said, that leafless tree, quote, first flashed in upon my soul the fact of God, end quote. And it was, in fact, a love for God that never after ceased to burn. So just realizing that the tree looks dead, but great things are on the way. And that's, that's been the experience of many uh, men and women in the history of God's people. They've looked at nature, and nature tells us a lot of things about God. And he learned something right there. Well, he joins a monastic order called the Carmelites. That is, he's going into a monastery. I guess in the 1600s, if you're really serious about God, that's what you did. Actually, in much of the Middle Ages, that was also the case. And it was, an, it was a barefoot monastic order. They call it discalced um, barefoot. So I, I assume he wore no shoes from there on. When you join one of these orders, you choose a name. And he took the name Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. But we just call him Brother Lawrence. He became a lay monk, not a full monk. He didn't have the education required to become a cleric. He was a simple man. This was not someone who, who copied manuscripts. This was not someone uh, who was fluent in Greek and Hebrew and so forth. He didn't do the typical monk things, but he did cook. And in later life, he repaired sandals. He, not When I say he was a cook, I don't mean he was the head guy, some sous chef. He was not the head guy. He cooked and cleaned and did what he was told. Well, why are we looking at him in that case if he's not this um, awesome leader or, or man of tremendous influence? Well, actually, he's probably both of those, but not in a way that we would think, much more in the way that Jesus describes in Mark 10. He did not lord it over others. So let's look at his strengths. Relationship with God, especially prayer. I'm going to give you samples of uh, what he said, gracious behavior and speech will become obvious. His counsel uh, to his fellow brothers and to us. And we'll see that this man not only lived well, but also he died well. So let's, uh, let's begin. Let's look at his example and his counsel. And I'd like to, be, like to begin with the issue of surrender. I've organized this under a number of different headings. Um, Really, as things struck me, and I found myself increasingly challenged the more I spent time you know, with this remarkable man. Before he had experienced God's swift help in his affairs, he had attempted to plan every detail, doing the job in his own strength. But now, acting with childlike simplicity in God's sight, he did everything for the love of God, thanking him for his guidance. These are the words of Joseph de Beaufort. This was someone who, an admirer, who very soon after Lawrence's death uh, got together, uh, assembled uh, not only the things that Lawrence had written, and there were quite a few, but also um, added his own comments. Okay, uh, Referring to one who had not learned this lesson, this lesson of surrender, and we're really talking about issues of control, Lawrence wrote, she seems so full of goodwill, but she wants to go faster than the race allows. It is not possible to become spiritually mature 
all at once. <laughs> that, that, that hit me. Uh, it's not possible to become mature all at once. I have struggled for years with obsession with time and results. Time always wanting to max out, to fill every spare second with something productive or something that I want to do. Everything with this wrong attitude turns into a competition, maybe with others, maybe with myself. Everything turns into a race. But this is very different uh, to the way that Lawrence lived. He said, we must do everything with great care, avoiding impetuous actions, which are evidence of a disordered spirit. God wishes us to work gently, calmly, and lovingly for him, with him, asking him to accept our work. By this continual attention to God, we will resist the devil and cause him to flee. Ah, so for someone who's used to living at a very, uh, living life at a, at a fast pace and trying to attempt uh, many, maybe even unrealistic uh, goals, and some of you, you'll relate to this, I know, um, we, we find Lawrence to be very challenging, very, very challenging. So there's a question to self I have to ask. Do I have a disordered spirit? Do I have a disordered spirit? I'm reading a book right now called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. And as I was working on the podcast notes yesterday, I, I started reading this other book and I was hit again. It was kind of a, a double hit. It was Lawrence and now McGee. Would you please listen? I'd like to read just a paragraph or two. When Christ told his disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, he was not referring, he was referring not only to an intellectual ascent to the truth, but also to the application of truth in the most basic issues of life, our goals, our motives, our sense of worth. Unfortunately, many of us give only lip service to the powerful truths of the scriptures without allowing them to affect the basis of our self-esteem in a radical way. Instead, we continue to seek our security and purpose from worldly sources, personal success, status, beauty, wealth, and the approval of others. These rewards may fulfill us for a short time, but they soon lead to a sense of urgency to succeed and the need to be approved of again. To meet these compelling needs, we drive ourselves to achieve, doing virtually anything to make people happy with us, and we spend countless hours and dollars trying to look just right. Often we avoid situations and people when the risk of failure and rejection are high. It's a rat race that can't be won by simply running faster. We need to get off this hopeless treadmill and learn to apply the foundational truths that can motivate us to live for Christ rather than the approval of other people. Maybe that hits you. Maybe you live too much for the approval of others. I, In my own conscience, I think I, I may have been that way more in my earlier years as a Christian, I, it, I got to a point probably about 15 years in where I don't think it mattered so much to me, but I'm guilty of everything else that that, that, uh, that reading uh, speaks of. Um, and learning to slow down and to live more like Jesus, to live like Brother Lawrence is good for me. So again, I'm going to ask myself as I ask you, do I have a disordered spirit? Okay. Let's move on from the issue of surrender or control issues to prayer. 
Beaufort, the Beaufort uh, commented, our brother remarked that some people go only as far as their regular devotions, stopping there and neglecting love, which is the purpose of those devotions. This could easily be seen in their actions and explained why they possessed so little solid virtue. Uh, Fair, right? Uh, We we all know Christians who, it's not that they don't read and pray, um, but it, it doesn't really seem to change how they interact with others. So what advice does Lawrence have for us? Well, first, he says, it is not necessary to be too verbose in prayer because lengthy prayers encourage wandering thoughts. Interesting, huh? It makes me think of Jesus's instructions in Matthew 6, uh, not, not to get carried away using many words. And he even gives an example of a prayer we should use, the Lord's Prayer, which is, oh, well, certainly simple and quite short. And so Lawrence uh, prayed a lot. And I think a lot of these were, were shorter prayers, perhaps a, a, a bit like Patrick. We call him St. Patrick. But Patrick in Ireland, uh, back in the 5th century, would sometimes pray 100 times a day. So Lawrence says, it's not necessary to be verbose. He continues, it would not be wrong to offer short phrases that are inspired by love, such as, Lord, I am all yours. God of love, I love you with all my heart. Or, Lord, use me according to your will. But remember to keep the mind from wandering or returning to the world. Hold your attention on God alone by exercising your will to remain in God's presence. Uh, He says, as well, simply present yourself to God as if you were a poor man knocking on the door of a rich man and fix your attention on his presence. If your mind wanders at times, don't be upset because being upset will only distract you more. Allow your will to recall your attention gently to God. Such perseverance will please him. Oh, the knife cuts deeply. So often I set out to pray and I'm walking and instead of being a prayer warrior, I'm more the prayer warrior. I'm bringing uh, my my requests to God, but I'm also kind of planning through my day while I'm doing it. Uh, There's an anxiety and I may not feel, I'm not really aware of the anxiety, but my mind wanders. Does that happen to you? Let's share some other wisdom from this great man. He says this, My day-to-day life consists of giving God my simple, loving attention. If I'm distracted, he calls me back in tones that are supernaturally beautiful. If you think of me, remember the grace with which God has blessed me, rather than my typically human ineptitude. My prayers consist of simple continuation of this same exercise, Sometimes I imagine that I am a piece of stone waiting for the sculptor. When I give myself to God this way, he begins sculpting my soul into the perfect image of his beloved son. At other times, I feel my whole mind and heart being raised up into God's presence, as if without effort they had always belonged there. Some people may consider this attitude self-deceptive, but I cannot permit it to be called deception, since in this state of enjoying God, I desire nothing but his presence. So you're getting a taste already of the of the solid advice, the sensible advice um, that uh, we get from uh, Brother Lawrence. Well, let's talk about prayer throughout the day because this was something that he was very strong at. 
That is not in specific times of devotion, but all day long. He says, it isn't necessary that we stay in church to, in order to remain in God's presence. Right. Okay. We can make our heart a chapel, our heart a chapel, where we can go anytime to talk to God privately. Because we have such a short time to live, we should spend our remaining time with God. Even suffering will be easier when you're with him, but without him, even the greatest pleasures will be joyless. Offer your heart to him at every moment. Don't restrict your love of him with rules or special devotions. Go out in faith with love and humility. I think he's telling us to keep it simple and, and don't get into the, the mindset that it's God is pleased when we're one way at church and another way somewhere else. We're always in God's presence. Here's another quote. We must try to converse with God in little ways while we do our work, not in memorized prayer, not trying to recite previously formed thoughts. Rather, we should purely and simply reveal our hearts as the words come to us. And I've got more examples, which um, I've put into the notes, uh, which I I hope you'll take a look at um, after you listen to the podcast. But one more quotation on prayer uh, from Brother Lawrence. It is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. When it is finished, if I have nothing to do, I prostrate myself on the ground and adore my God, who gave me the grace to make it, after which I arise more content than a king. When I cannot do anything else, it is enough for me to have lifted a straw from the earth for the love of God. What a remarkable image. You've got him making an omelet, and even making the omelet for God. And if there's no more responsibilities, he's lying down on the kitchen floor and praying, and just adoring God. He says also, people seek for methods of learning to love God. Methods. They hope to arrive at it by, I know not how many different practices. They take much trouble to remain in the presence of God in a quantity of ways. Is it not much shorter and more direct to do everything for the love of God? To make use of all the labors of one's state in life, to show him that love, and to maintain his presence within us by his uh, communion of our hearts with his? There's no finesse about it. One only has to do it generously and simply. You know, we we can make things too hard for ourselves when we're trying to pray. And if you're like many men, especially, you you do a little better with reading the scripture than praying. It's hard to express. Well, I, I think we need to take a page from his book. On the subject of sin and confession, de Beaufort comments, Brother Lawrence was aware of his sins and not at all surprised by them. And, you know, he has that kind of self-deprecating humor. Um, he doesn't take himself too seriously. His words again, that is my nature, he would say. The only thing I know how to do, you know, basically, you know, sin. Yep, deep, that's deep down. He simply confessed his sins to God without pleading with him or making excuses. Question to self. Do I insist on making a fuss when I fall short? You know, the Hebrews 12 speaks of the Lord's discipline, and we can take it too hard. You know, we get, we wilt, we become totally discouraged. And that, you know, that makes people, I guess, want to pity us, or they think, they realize that that's our hope. But there's an opposite reaction when we have the Lord's discipline, uh, which is uh, to, to ignore it, to take it too lightly. And that's not right either. Responding uh, to 
tough times, but even our own dynamics of sin uh, and confession, uh, that's something that is part of maturity. Not to, It's not so much that we become sinless, but it's that we're not surprised that we sin because that's who we are. We are sinners. We confess them and we move on. We get up. Uh, Jeremiah 8.4, when we fall down, we get up. Another area I wanted to share about is times of dryness, dry spells and darkness. For dry spells, you could you could think of uh, Jeremiah. Think, think of uh, Jeremiah um, uh, 17, that beautiful chapter. My wife's favorite chapter in the Bible, I think, if she has one, um, that even when things are are dry, um, we can still thrive if we trust in God. Brother Lawrence taught that we should remain faithful in tough times because God may be testing us. Even if it's a dry spell, we can take advantage of those times. We can capitalize. But he speaks not just of dry spells, but also of dark seasons. And sometimes that season is not just a month or even a year, but sometimes a season can be longer than that, like a decade. Again, I share from the practice of the presence of God about the life of, of Lawrence. He attempted to move into a more spiritual life. As he did so, memories of the sins of his past engulfed him, and he judged himself a great sinner, unworthy of any of God's attentions. And this led to 10 years of intense fear and anxiety in which he often doubted his salvation. With an afflicted heart, he would pour out his troubles to God, but his own fears of what it would cost to serve God completely caused him to resist God's total salvation. This was a time when Lawrence found little comfort in prayer, and yet he continued to pray. He continued to pray. And eventually, as he meditated on God's character, it became so natural to pray, to trust God with the struggles, that he passed the last 40 years of his life in the continuous practice of the presence of God, which he described as a quiet, familiar conversation with him. So he had a time when things were very challenging spiritually, 10 years, he reckons, but he emerged from that into 40 years of uninterrupted communion with God. That sounds great. Question to self. During a dry spell or even in an extended season of darkness, am I determined to push on, to remain faithful? Hmm. This brings us to his priorities and his boldness. Faith gave Brother Lawrence a profound respect and love for God's word. And yet our brother believed that the books of even the most famous academies taught very little in comparison with God's great book. And that certainly speaks to me. I'm a big reader, but nothing I've read is like the Word of God. These other books are helpful, but when we allow our thoughts to remain there more than we do in the presence and Word of God, then something's not right. Um, De Beaufort comments, Today, Brother Lawrence spoke to me quite openly and with great enthusiasm about his manner of going to God. He said the most important part lay in renouncing once and for all whatever does not lead to God. 
wow, that sounds like simplifying our lives, downsizing, cutting out activities. You know, we're so busy. Um, I, I think if someone came back from the 17th century and saw how most of us live with our schedules and our gadgets and our travel and and all the things on our to-do list, they would think we were crazy. Brother Lawrence's principal virtue was his faith. As the just man lives by faith, I think that's Habakkuk 2, uh, 4. So it was the life and nourishment of his soul. His spiritual life progressed visibly because of the way his faith quickened his soul. This great faith led him to God, elevating him above the world. They even said he coveted nothing, nothing astonished him, he feared nothing. And when he suffered, Lawrence said, quote, I did not pray for relief, but I prayed for strength to suffer with courage, humility, and love. This is a man of obviously very deep character, very rich. Question to self, what are my priorities? Am I as serious as Brother Lawrence at practicing the presence of God? I want us to look at just two more um, subjects before we move on to his death. And one is work. Uh, Beaufort comments, Lawrence believed it was a serious mistake to think of our prayer time as being different from any other. He said his prayers consisted totally and simply of God's presence. His soul was resting in God, having lost its awareness of everything but love of him. And when he wasn't in prayer, he felt practically the same way. Because of this, his life was full of continual joy. We're always in the presence of God. De Beaufort says also, his only means of going to God was to do everything for the love of God. He was therefore indifferent about what he did. Right? You know, whether he's making an omelet or cleaning, scrubbing a pot, it's all the same. All that mattered was that he did it for God. It was he and not the activity that he considered. And you'll you'll be challenged by this one. He often did the work that two usually did. The work that two persons usually did, but he was never seen to bustle. Rather, he gave each chore the time that it required, always preserving his modest and tranquil air, working neither slowly nor swiftly, dwelling in calmness of soul and unalterable peace. It was kind of like a driver. Um, we may be tempted to, uh, on the highway, to drive faster and and save a few minutes, but you're not really saving minutes at all. And often it's the case that you see that car that you overtook and, wow, how do you get ahead of me? What's most effective is not always bustling, running around like a madwoman or a madman. At any rate, I think this is a great illustration of the practice of the presence of God and the area of relations with others. You know, we might think that uh, someone who spends so much time in prayer is a hermit or a recluse. And you may think of that because he was in a monastery. But you know, monasteries were not uh, full of hermits. Monasteries were communities. So he was with other people all the time. So that's really not at all the case. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't a recluse. Again, his biographer says, in this intimate union with the Lord, our brother's passions grew so calm that he scarcely felt them anymore. He developed a gentle disposition, complete honesty, and the most charitable heart in the world. His kind face, his gracious and affable air, his simple and modest manner, 
immediately won him the esteem and goodwill of everyone who saw him. The more familiar with him they became, the more they became aware of how profoundly upright and reverent um, the man was. And despite his simple and common life in the monastery, he did not pretend to be austere or melancholy, which only serves to rebuff people. On the contrary, he fraternized with everyone. So his biographer is noting that he didn't make a meal of it. He, When he was fasting or he's praying, he, he didn't draw attention to himself or act as though, you know, he's what we would call, I think, a martyr complex, because that just pushes people away. But he, he was friendly and he engaged with lots of people as well. He carefully avoided answering those curious questions which lead nowhere. Now, this, this, this happens when, when people come to him for counsel. I think they came to him with a lot of questions and some questions he wouldn't answer. <laughs> These curious questions, which serve only to burden the spirit and dry up the heart. But when he was required by his superiors to declare his thoughts on the difficult questions, um, his answers were always so clear and to the point that needed no further comment. This remarkable ability was noted by many learned men. Isn't that the way it, it often is? The common man uh, has more wisdom, whether it's street smarts or um, emotional intelligence than, than the academic or the powerful person. He assisted the poor in their needs as much as was in his power. He consoled them when they had problems, offering them advice. And to sum it up in a few words, he did all he could for his neighbor and tried never to harm anyone. He did everything he possibly could to win men to God. Question to self, am I doing all I can to win people to God? Am I even connected with my brothers and sisters in Christ? I think we can learn so much from this man. But it's time to speak of his death. At the season in which I'm recording this podcast, uh, six friends have been on their deathbed, six friends of mine. And I've noticed uh, a common pattern, because these persons are all Christians, that up to the very end, they're trying to maximize their impact, still meeting with people, still sharing the scriptures with the lost, still having time for fellowship, still serving. And Brother Lawrence lived well into his eighth decade, but he didn't fizzle out. He stayed the course to the very end. That reminds me of the Apostle Paul, in fact, um, in 2 Timothy 4. It's so easy for us to be tolerant of those who are racked by pain when they drift from God or they're not really focused on the Lord anymore. But I think the pattern of holiness is that we stay focused on God. We don't become less attached as we move towards death. On his deathbed, Brother Lawrence displayed marks of a stability, a resignation, and a joy that were quite extraordinary. His faith became particularly vigorous penetrating him with its grandeur and enlightening him with its radiance. He was given some final time alone to reflect on the great grace God had given him during his life. And when asked how he spent that time, he replied that he had been doing what he would be doing for all eternity, quote, blessing God, praising God, adoring him, loving him with all my heart. That is our whole purpose, brothers, 
to adore God and to love him without worrying about the rest. Wow, what a great response. I hope I can live that way. His parting words, may I share these? And he was regretting the years before he had learned the secret of contentment, before he dwelt in the love of God. And this is what he would say to uh, the younger uh, brothers. Oh, goodness, so ancient and so new. Too late have I loved thee. Do not act this way, my brothers. You are young. Profit by the sincere confession I make to you of the little care I took to consecrate my first years to God. Consecrate all of yours to his love. For as for me, if I had known sooner, if anyone had told me the things I'm telling you now, I would not have waited so long to love him. This reminds me of the advice in Ecclesiastes chapters 11 and 12, you know, to seek our creator in the days of our youth and not just seek um, to become Christians, but to seek our creator, that relationship also. Let us look to God with these eyes of faith. He is within us. We don't need to seek him elsewhere. We have only ourselves to blame if we turn from God, occupying ourselves instead with the trifles of life. In the Lord's patience, he endures our weaknesses. But just think of the price we pay by being separated from his presence. Once and for all, let us begin to be his entirely. Let us banish from our heart and soul all that does not reflect Jesus. And let us ask him for the grace to do this so that he alone might rule in our hearts. Mm, What's ruling in my heart? And last, I must confide in you, dear friend, that I hope in his grace that I will see him in a few days. Let us pray to him for one another. Well, it turns out that Lawrence passed from this life on the very next day, which was the 12th of February, 1691. He died in relative obscurity and pain, and perfect joy. Brother Lawrence shows us how to die because he shows us how to live, and that is by practicing the presence of God.